Uh, well, good morning. How are you? Great. Slowly coming back to me. Come on, guys. I like to be talked to. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to greet you this morning, I hope I get the opportunity at some point today. I wanted to share something exciting that happened this uh, past Friday night. Uh, many of you, many maybe know, um, we've got that picture up there. Um, Adam Pence and Alex Panatoni officially became Mr. and Mrs. Adam Pence. So, um, yeah, they uh, uh, walked down the aisle and Alex said, am I sure I really want to do this? And uh, she, she said, yes, I do. So they uh, got married on Friday night and super exciting time for them. Uh, they're off and doing what newlyweds are doing right now in Lake Chelan and hope they're having a good time. And uh, I was thinking about this as they asked me to have a part in their wedding. They said, hey, would you officiate the wedding? And it was very unique for me to have that opportunity. I, I enjoy being a part of a couple stories like this because it's a privilege to... Uh, what happens is when you're getting married, you've got the couple and they're so focused on the wedding that when I have the opportunity to officiate a wedding, I can help them prepare for the marriage. And so it was, it was just an honor to be a part of their ceremony and to help uh, prepare for them to have a strong marriage. And as I was thinking about this wedding on Friday night, I was thinking just by chance, I had this wedding Friday night, just by chance, as we are preaching through the book of 1 Peter, uh, this is what we do at Restoration Church. We, we choose a, a book or a section of scripture and we work through it. Uh, just by chance, we came to a scripture that's going to be focused on marriage, going to be focused on what the responsibilities and roles that belong to both husbands and wives. And if I'm going to be completely honest, I wasn't really looking forward to having to preach through this. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. The reality of it, we are in the 21st century. And there are many people in our society that think marriage is an outdated uh, thing. We are, in 2017, we think we've evolved, we know much more about marriage, and we can make marriage about what we want it to be. We can voluntarily decide to opt in or out whenever we want. And in fact, when you open up the Bible and allow the Bible to speak in a marriage, it becomes controversial. It becomes something that's not politically correct. And in fact, in the reality, in a, size, in a room this size, I know that there are some here, uh, no matter what I share from the Bible, they are going to not accept the Bible's guidelines for marriage. But here's what I know. I know that marriage was not a man-made institution. Marriage is a gift from God. God created it. God initiated it. And something that we said last week was that God's desire for us is not just that we would survive life. God's desire for you is not just that you would survive life, not that just your marriage would survive, that we would actually thrive, that we would flourish and so when we're looking at marriage, I think it's important for us to say, God, since you created this, God, what insight can you give us to help our marriages not just survive, but to flourish? In fact, there's a quote by the guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton. And if we have that question about marriage and, and what, what do we believe about this, this is what he said. He said, the Christian ideal has not been found tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I think that's an accurate picture of the way we look at marriage. The ideal from what the Bible speaks about isn't found wanting. It's found that difficult and it's left untried. So today, today we're going to have the opportunity and we're going to speak to you ladies 
about what your calling is as a wife. Now, let me just tell you, men, you're not off the hook because this is something that all of us here today, there's principles that will apply to every one of us in here today. But ladies, we're going to have the opportunity to speak uh, directly to you. And I'm just going to pray that you would allow God to speak to you today. And let me tell you what, ladies, uh, if you're a little nervous right now that we're going to come pick on you, you do whatever you can to get your husband back next week because we're coming hard on the men next week. And all the ladies said... Amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, if you have a phone, you can pull it up on your phone. Uh, there's uh, an usher in the back. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up and we'll come and bring a, a Bible up to you. This section of uh, 1 Peter, uh, Peter has been describing what God has done for us. This is something that Peter's done time and time again throughout this book. Peter looked at us and he said, hey, we are a chosen people. Okay, that means every one of us, if we're a Christian, that God looked at us and God chose you and said, I want you on my team. You're on my side. So he said, we are a chosen people. He said, we are a royal priesthood, which means that every one of us, because we're part of that royal priesthood, we have direct access to the creator of the universe at all times. Like we have that kind of access to God because we're a part of that royal priesthood. And what Peter likes to do is he says, this is what God has done first, and now this is how you respond. And that's kind of the section we've been. He's, he said, you're a chosen people. Um, God's chosen you. God's given you the, the privilege of being a royal priesthood. And now, in light of that, Peter's saying, this is how you and I are supposed to live. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we're supposed to um, live with respect and live honorably among non-believers. We talked about how we're supposed to submit to uh, government authorities that God places over us. Last week, we talked about how we're supposed to submit to both good bosses as well as how we submit to bad bosses. How many of you ever worked for a jerk? Yes, most of us can have our hand up and we can think about that guy. And that was an idea that we are called to, to submit to the people that are placed in authority. And today we're going to continue this theme on submission. And he's going to specifically speak to wives. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 uh, verses 1 through 6. I'm actually going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's word today. And you can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen behind me. And if you're able to, would you stand with me? 1 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 1. says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see you respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how uh, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And that is God's word for us today. Anybody frightened? All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for this opportunity just to, to read your word. And God, even these hard things, and we look at a passage and we say, we don't understand it, we don't, we don't. God, I pray that you would just give us insight. Help us to understand, God, that we came here today not to hear a pastor telling us how we're supposed to live, but God, we're here to hear your word. And God, I pray that you would give us insight, every one of us into our lives, that you would 
Help us to understand what it is you're trying to teach today. Whether we are a wife, whether we're a husband, whether we're a young person, whether we're single or old, wherever we are in life, God, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you'd be honored and glorified. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Just to give you an idea of where we're going to go today, we're going to look at that specific calling that Peter gives to wives. And then we're going to look and see um, what happens when wives do that. When they fulfill their calling, here's some things that happen because of that. So he starts back in verse 1, and Peter writes, likewise. You say, well, why why does he start out with that? Because that word likewise is connecting this section to what Peter's already been talking about. So he's been talking about how... how, um, We're supposed to submit to sometimes an unjust government. How we're supposed to submit sometimes to an unjust boss. And now he's continuing that theme to say, Christians, this is your calling. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That word, be subject in the ESV, can also be translated, submit. Now, I know when we approach a a text like this and we look at a word like that, there's all sorts of ways that we can change the meaning of that word and say, well, it doesn't really mean submit. It means something different. Maybe it was just for that day. Like just, it was just that day that they had to, to, to submit. It doesn't really mean that. Actually, the word that's, that's translated submit in the ESV is used 38 times in the New Testament. And guess what it means every time? Submit. So what does it mean for us to Submit. A couple definitions. We shared this uh, definition last week. We said submit is to serve someone else. To put someone else's needs above their own. In fact, specifically dealing with this, uh, rela- th- this marriage relationship, I found this description of submission out of a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It says submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. This means that somehow that wife keeps uh, her hubby's leadership in sight, in view of her her mind, in view of of her life. It is a priority for her to affirm her husband as the leader. So why? why? Because men desperately need that. Men desperately need their wives to affirm them as leaders and also because God has called you to do it. Those are the two reasons why we're we're, we're asking, uh, why God's word would ask a woman to do that. And when we get to submission, I want to I just pause here for a second and talk for a little bit about submission because submission can be taken out of context. So I want to clarify a few things. First, submission has absolutely nothing to do with value. In fact, when God created marriage, God, or when God created man and woman, he created woman to be the helpmate. So there's a value that she brings to the relationship. There's a value that she brings to her husband. She's a helper. She's a part of the team. Context, and specifically when he talks about uh, submitting to her husband, is specifically in the relationship of, of, of marriage. It has nothing to do with, with work or society. Women, there's value that you bring in all sorts of places to the world. Secondly, women are, 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 don't submit because they're inferior. Okay, well, I've got to clarify this. Women are not inferior to men. In fact, verse 7 is going to tell men that, that their wives are fellow heirs in Christ means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are equal in God's eyes. And when God created the world, when God created man and woman, he looked at both of them and said this, I've created this in my image, and it is good and perfect. See, the roles that we play don't imply superiority. I mean, we've got a 
restoration softball team that we go and play down in the city league, and it's really fun to watch us play. Normally, we can throw the ball straight and, and do this sort of thing. But, but if the umpire makes a call that I disagree, that I disagree with, and there's been a few of those, that doesn't mean he's, he's, he's superior, superior to I am. Just in his role, he has the authority. In another situation, I may have the authority over him. And so we want to clarify that, that this submission has nothing to do with, with inferior, inferiority or, or superiority. So here's, here's the qualifications. Before we get to what submission looks like, here's the qualifications. And again, we've got to go through these. Submission is not these things, okay? Submission is not putting your husband in the place of God. Got to clarify that from the very beginning. Christ takes priority over every relationship in your life. Okay? Submission is not putting your husband in the place of God. Submission does not mean that you give up independent thought. Ladies, this, it doesn't mean that you can't uh, ever disagree with your husband. You can't ever have a differing of, of, uh, opinion than him and share that with him. In fact, in fact the, the, the specific application of this text is a Christian wife with a non-believing husband. This shows that the woman is probably a little bit smarter than him because she can find Christ and he hasn't. So, so this doesn't mean that women, you, have to, you can't have an independent thought. You don't have to always agree. You don't have to uh, never present a differing view. Ladies, submission does not mean that you have to give in to every, your husband's every wish. Submission is not mindless servitude. You don't become a, a servant. It's not blind obedience. Your submission should never lead you to have to sin. Your sh- submission should never leave you to abandon your faith. I want to clarify that. This doesn't mean mindless servitude. And lastly, submission does not mean that, ladies, you are left without recourse if there's abuse or infidelity. In fact, if there's abuse in your relationship, here's the two things I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to call the elders of the church, and I'd encourage you to call the police. Serious about these things. Submission is not some sort of way for a man to abuse a woman. It should never be tolerated. And additionally, if, if, if a man is, is unfaithful to his wife, unfaithful to his wife, there is recourse for that as well, ladies. You don't have to just walk through that and be humiliated time and time again. Now, I know when we start dealing with this issue of submission, I know there's some ladies in here uh, who are going to say, well, my, my husband doesn't deserve my submission. Like, if you knew my husband, you would not call me to submit to him. Listen, if your, husband, if your husband doesn't deserve your submission, that's exactly the point. Because submission has less to do with your husband, has more to do with God. Your husband may not deserve your submission, but God does. And God has called you to submit. So the question is, are you going to submit to God or not? Because he's the one that's called you. Men, let me throw this disclaimer out for you. Men, submission is not a a man's right to demand. Clarify that. In fact, out of all the husbands at Restoration Church, I'm the only man that should be standing up preaching to wives about submission. And let me tell you what, I am not doing that in my home. I have the privilege because I'm a pastor and I can stand up, but, but it's... Submission is not something for a man to demand. In fact, when you look at this context, who's Peter writing to? He says, likewise, wives. Peter is writing to the women. He's writing to the ladies. He's writing to the wives and telling them, submit. And let me tell you what, men, if you get in your car later today, 
And you say, did you hear what he said? You need to submit to me. Men, if you get into an argument with your wife this week and you feel that blood pressure rising and you say, hey, 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 remember what first Peter says? Listen, you will undo everything that the Holy Spirit has begun to do when you begin to demand your wife submit to you. See, Peter is writing to the ladies and his assumption is, ladies, you are going to, to hear this. You're going to ponder this. You're going to understand this. And you yourself are going to respond to God's word. So with all those qualifications, I still want to clarify that the woman's calling is to submit to her husband, to put his needs above her own, to affirm the leadership of her husband. See, submission is not an adherence to uh, of, of a principle. It's not just something that you follow. Submission is a recognition of the one who compels us to submit in order to live lives of godly obedience. I want us to understand that submission is, is not something you give to your husband. It's something you give to God. You submit to your husband not because your husband tells you to or because he's worthy, but because God, who is the greatest in all, who's our Savior, he's the one who's called us to do that. And compels us to submit. And now we're going to get into some very specific applications. as to what it looks like for, for, for women to submit. And it's really quiet in here today. You notice that? I'm a little uncomfortable being here right now with all this quietness. But we're going to run through with this. Here's what it's going to look like. Listen, wives. When you submit to your husband. When you fulfill your calling. There's, there's a couple of... of, of things that happen. Number one, you are actually become, uh, when you submit and when you fulfill your call, it gives you more influence. When you fulfill your call, it gives you greater influence in that marriage relationship. It almost sounds like an oxymoron. You're kind of like, that doesn't make sense. Like if I submit, then I have more influence in the relationship. It doesn't make sense. But look what Peter says. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. See, there are, obviously there's an application of this where if you are a Christian woman and you've got a non-Christian husband, there's an application to you that you can preach the gospel till you're red in the face. And, and chances are, at some point he stops listening. But then, ladies, as you allow your conduct, your character, your submission, your calling, when you fulfill those things, that's when God begins to break through and open his heart. He says, your conduct and respect will win your husband to Christ without constant preaching. And I want to be clear, that's, that's one application of the text. Because when you look at this text, that's not just what it's talking about. Notice the particle uh, that says, even if... Some do not obey the word. See, this call to submit applies to all ladies. This call to submit and to, to, um, to have this kind of character, this kind of contact, it applies to all ladies. Well, Peter's saying, ladies, if you want influence on your husband, if you want influence in that relationship, it's going to be more influence based on the respect and your conduct than how many words you can share at him. 
He says, maybe one without a word. This doesn't mean that the wife isn't allowed to speak. This isn't that kind of a thing. We've already said that, ladies, there is a time and a place and you are welcome to, to disagree and share your disagreement. But specifically, when he says they may be one without a word, there's a specific application to this. And I want you to capture this. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19. It says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Now, actually, that quarrelsome and fretful wife can be changed uh, in, in the NIV to quarrelsome and nagging wife. Okay? It is better to live in a desert land with a... Uh, uh, it is better... Okay, I butchered that. Proverbs 27.15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Now, you see, when I, was a, when I was a child growing up, I was small. I wasn't the biggest kid, if you can imagine that. And because I was small, families knew that. And so I had a family call me and say, Hey, hey, we'd love for you to come and crawl under our crawl space, underneath our house. You're small. We'll give you a flashlight. Can you just kind of scummage through? We need to figure out what's going on on the side of the house. And so uh, they said, we've had this little tiny leak, this little tiny leak. And I don't know if it was a bathroom and uh, it, it wasn't a big deal, but now we're starting to smell things. So we want you to crawl underneath the house and take the flashlight and take a picture of what's going on. Well, that constant dripping, that small drip, it kept dripping and dripping and dripping and started to cause the, the, the inside the walls the, the, to, to begin to rot. In fact, everything began to smell really bad. And they had a big issue on their hand because they had this little continual dripping that continued to happen again and again and again. Ladies, the tendency to nag is like a continual drip. You know what the result is? You might not see where it builds up, where it festers. But that nagging will leave your husband zapped and drained and depleted. And let me say, this applies to both men and women. We're not just uh, men. We, we have the tendency to nag as well. But we're dealing specifically in the context of women in their relationship. Peter's saying that, that there's, there's a way that you can speak that doesn't bring about the... the, the, uh, the um, Got to remember what I'm talking about. Doesn't bring about the influence that you want. But there's a, there's a different way to get that influence. See, ladies, you might not even realize it. You might not realize what your words are doing. You might think, well, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to help, really. I, I'm trying to help him, you know. Um, and often, that woman who's going to nag the most is often the one who's going to fight the hardest who's going to be strong-willed, who's going to assume that her words are helping her husband. Ladies, let me warn you. Those reminders, those promptings, whatever you want to call them, they could be doing a lot more damage than you realize. Peter's saying, ladies, if you want influence, you want to have an ability to affect your, your relationship, Peter says, do it in a different way. He's saying, win them by your respect and by your pure conduct. Gain influence by fulfilling the command that Peter and that God's word has given you. See, I wanted to give you a little bit of a word picture as to what this looks like. You ever noticed, you ever noticed how music has a great way to take words and make them sound great? You ever notice, like you ever listen to the radio 
and hear the song. You're like, man, this song is great. And then you go online, and you actually look up the lyrics. Like, you ever heard the song, What Does a Fox Say? What does a fox say? Hati, hati, hati. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you. But that's a stupid song, and I can't tell you how many times I've listened to it. Like, again and again. The words are ridiculous. Cow says moo. Dog says I mean, it, I mean, it's stupid. But you put it to some catchy music, and man, it goes crazy. And on the same way, have you ever noticed how the most beautiful words around gar- garbage music, it's like nothing happens. Like, that's a great story you wrote, but the words, the music's horrible, and I can't get into it. See, this is a picture of how you gain influence for Jesus. In your family, the music is more important than the words. You understand that? The music is more important than the words. I'm I'm a pastor. There are people who come up to me, and and life has hit hard. They've hit rock bottom. And they need... They need more than just apologetics. They need more than me just to tell them, well, this is, this is what the Bible says. They, they, they need, the most important thing they need is music. They need love. They need compassion. See, the most important thing in your relationship is the music, the character, the behavior of how you live. Ladies, if you surround your life with really great music and really lame words... Ladies, you will have far more influence if you're the woman who just constantly speaks and doesn't have the character to back it up. Ladies, you want influence in your relationship. You want influence in your household. Focus on the music. Focus on the music of your life. And allow God to use that to take the words that you do share and use them for good. I can't necessarily speak about your relationship but i can speak about mine and i can tell you that when my wife is in that season of life where she's respecting and honoring and she's building me up she tells me things like i believe in you let me tell you what it completely changes me and i have the confidence that i can change the world and guess what when she speaks into that she's right there with me her words have so much more value So ladies, you want influence in your relationship. You want influence on your husband. You want influence in your family. It's not just through words. It's through the music. It's how you live. It's your character. I know some of you ladies are saying, oh my gosh, like my husband's going to wreck us. Like if I let him lead, he's just going to wreck us. Listen, let let him answer to God. There's a quote I read this week by Tony Evans. He says, spiritual submission is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man in the face right on the nose. Isn't that what it is? See, a lot of of us men, we never grew out of adolescence. We're still like little boys in man bodies. Because growing up, we had overprotective mothers that made every one of our decisions for us. And they never forced us boys to grow up and act like men. And ladies, listen, when you just step back and and, and you create that leadership vacuum, you're forcing him to grow up. You're forcing him to assume the position of leadership that God has called him to be. 
And when you just say, you know what, honey, this is what I think about this. But you've got to make the decision and you've got to answer to God. You are forcing him to grow up and act like a man. Man, that's hard. Let me tell you what, ladies. You want to see your husband begin to grow up? Give him the opportunity. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you'll follow him. Allow your words to build him up. And watch what God does with him. Second point of application. Ladies, when you fulfill your calling, you actually become more attractive. You become more attractive. See, in Pete's culture, as well as in our own culture, we tend to be obsessed with our external looks. Am I right? Just kind of the world we live in right now. First century, you can look in the first century, you can look at the portraits, you can look at the sculptures, and you saw this, this, this wonderful braiding of the hair and this extravagant jewelry that was common in, in upper-class Rome. And that's, that, that, that was the external, making the external look really good. Today, it's impossible for us to flip through a magazine, to turn the TV on, to go onto the internet without being bombarded with, the world, with what the world says is beautiful. We have all these ideas about what it means for us to be beautiful. And unfortunately, most of that is geared towards the ladies. And so what happens is, ladies, you begin to spend all sorts of money on little nips, on little tucks, on all sorts of things, on, on, on paint for your face, on the clothes that you wear. You try to access certain areas, certain features, because the world tells you that beauty is all external. And this comes at an incredible cost to the ladies around us. Because you're never, you, you never look good enough. You're never pretty enough. You never measure up. You always feel just a little bit infer- inferior, a little bit ugly, a little bit unlovable, especially because ladies, we all have this tendency. I'm coping myself with you. Ladies, we, ladies have the tendency to look around and compare themselves with other people. So you look around and begin to say, man, I don't measure up. Look at that person. Look, look what they look like. Look at their clothes. Look at their figure, whatever it happens to be. And they never feel like they measure up. And men, <laughs> we certainly don't do anything to help that, do we? Because men, the more that you allow yourself to lust and to look onto pornography and those things, that undoubtedly has an influence on how your wife views herself. Speaking of that, here's what Peter says. He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious. And it, which in God's sight is very precious. Pete says, ladies, there's a way that the world says is beautiful and it's all external. But he's saying there's a beauty that is sweeter. There's a beauty that is better. There's a beauty that doesn't fade. There's a beauty that is imperishable. He says, ladies, when you focus on the hidden person of the heart, your, your, your character, your gentle spirit, that is something that is more beautiful than anything on the outside. Now, let me clarify. Peter's not saying, ladies... Don't, he's not saying you, don't, you can't braid your hair. He's not saying you can't wear jewelry. He's not saying you have to look frumpy your entire life. 
Rather, what he's saying is don't be known for your outer beauty. But ladies, be known for the inner beauty. That quiet person of the heart. Means when you look at yourself, ladies, what's the greater priority to you? Like if you did a time analysis of your week, how much time do you spend focusing on external beauty versus how much time do you spend on internal beauty, on your character, on your spiritual life? Where's your priority? Proverbs 11.22 should speak to many of us in here. It says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, as a beautiful woman without discretion. You ever met that woman? Beautiful. Then she starts talking. <laughs> You're like, whoa, what did we just find here? My, my wrong. <laughs> Ladies. I want you to hear this today. (laughs) Peace says what's precious in the sight of God is your internal internal beauty. (laughs) Ladies, I know most of us know this. Most of you know this. You understand, hey, what matters most is my inner beauty. But what does it look like for you to actually live that out? What does it actually look like at play in your life? Are you focused more on that inner beauty on that character, on that spiritual life? Are you focused more on the external beauty? And men, let me speak to you in this. Is that the kind of woman that you're longing for? Men, as you're flipping through your phone looking at things you shouldn't be, is that the kind of woman you're longing for? Men, what kind of woman do you appreciate? Men, what kind of woman are you teaching your sons to look for? See, men, we've got to grow up and stop, stop uh, confusing lust for love. It's time for men to pray and say, God, would you tune my heart in for what you say is precious? God, help us men to understand that that inner beauty is much greater value than the external. Because I don't think any of us want to be married to a pig. (laughs) Peter closes with an example. He says in verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You think... Peter's speaking about wives submitting to their husband. What a great example of the life of Sarah. Like, like, like Abraham, you know the story, you may know the story, you may not. Abraham, God uh, said, Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to sell the house. I want you to sell the property and I want you to take your wife and you guys are just going to go camping. You don't know where you're going and I'm going to take you camping and, and you may never have a house again. Ladies, how would you feel on that moment? Ladies, anybody going to sign up for that life? Sarah submitted. Sarah said, all right, Abraham, this is what God's called you to do. I will follow you. Two times, okay? Sarah was a beautiful woman, okay? Two times, 
Abraham leads her into Egypt. And Abraham realizes, wait, she's really beautiful. She's more beautiful than me. So why don't we do this? Sarah, you lie and say you're my, my sister, not my wife. That way nobody wants to kill me and take you for themselves. She says, okay. Twice. Not once. Man, that's a horrible idea. I don't know how he did that twice, but it happened. Like, what a great example of submission. But you know what? That's not the example that Peter's talking about. Because being told to obey like Sarah, man, that's scary. It's fearful. But when you take a closer look at what Peter's talking about, he's pointing to a different story. In fact, he says, the story he talks about is when Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I began to think, well, where, where does that happen? So I grab my Old Testament, and I'm looking, where is it that, that Sarah calls Abraham Lord? It only happens once. Happens in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, God appears, and there's a couple of men with him, and Abraham says, oh, let's, let's make them lunch. And he makes them lunch, and God begins to speak to Abraham. And this is, this is what they said. Genesis 18, verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at that tent door uh, behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, or she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. See, God promises Abraham and Sarah, hey, you guys are going to have a son. The problem is, Sarah's really old. Like, middle school biology, there comes a certain point where a woman can't have babies anymore. She's past that point. Abraham's really old. And so, and so God makes a promise and Sarah laughs. Yeah, right. Like I just, I passed middle school science. I, no way. And did you, did you see God's reply? God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? God said, you can trust me. You can trust me. Like I got your back. Like how many of you need to hear that today? Whatever's going on in your, in your life. How many of you need to hear that promise? Is anything too hard for God? Listen, God's got your back. God's on your side. You can trust him. And see, the laughter that Sarah had in that tent today, the laughter can still be heard amongst women in our day, in our culture. Because we start talking about what the Bible says about wives submitting to husbands. Ladies, some of you are sitting there saying, are you kidding me? Like, that, that's absurd. Like, that's outdated. There's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way. We're, this is the 21st century. I mean, what's to ensure that I don't get messed up in this relationship? What's to ensure I don't get taken advantage of? Like, who's going to keep me safe in this relationship? And this is the key. This is why it, Peter points to Sarah as an example. 
Because Sarah's hope for a child wasn't in Abraham. Her hope for a child was in God. Listen, this is a key to submission. The key to submission, wives to your husband, is this. Is your hope needs to be in God and not in your husband. That is the, the key that will allow you to, to fully be able to submit because your hope is not in your husband to satisfy you, to make you right, to, to, to do... The, the hope is in, your, in God. The submission that Peter's talking about is not this blind obedience. It's not a principle to adhere to. The biblical submission is a recognition of the one who compels us to submit in order to live godly lives. Ladies, your submission isn't to your husband. It's to God. Do you understand this? That when your hope is in God, God's going to take care of me. God's got my back. That doesn't that give us the freedom to do whatever he tells us to do? Because who's in control of everything? It's not your husband. It's not your husband. It's God. And listen, if your husband is leading you in a place that you're not happy, just remember what Tony Evans said. If you duck, let God punch him in the nose. So let me close. Let me close right now with just a couple of words that I shared with Alex Panatoni. Excuse me, Alex Pence on Friday night at her wedding. Ladies, it is going to take you tremendous courage, tremendous faith to follow your husband, to submit yourself to him. And ladies, let me encourage you to use your words, to use your demeanor, to use your actions to tell your husband, I love you. I'll follow you. I believe in you. I trust you. I respect you. Because ladies, this is what happens when you give those things to your husband. Those are the very things that God uses to make your husband holy. To make him rise up to be the man that God has called him to be. When you, with your words and your actions and your demeanor, when you say those things, that gives God the opportunity to lift your man up to the calling that God has placed on his life. Ladies, I'm thankful for Restoration Church. Thankful for every one of you. And my prayer is that you would understand what it looks like for you to live your calling. That you, by living your calling, would have influence in your relationship and that you'd become more beautiful. Let's pray.